Hi, this is Pastor Greg, and welcome to View from Above. Today we're going to be taking some time in God's Word to kind of dissect a psalm that has been on my mind lately. Psalm 122, verses 1 through 8. It's one of those scriptures that you have to take a very close look at. And if we don't take time to dissect scriptures like this, sometimes we don't get the right message. I'll be reading it in just a moment, but let me just remind you of the importance of focusing on the right things in this time of uncertainty. There have been so many reports that come across the airways daily, morning, noon, and night. We hear the word Corona. We hear COVID-19 constantly, it seems. It would be easy for us to throw up our hands and think that this is all we have to think about. But there's so much more. From heaven's perspective, and that's the name of our broadcast, View from Above, it's about heaven's perspective. What is it that we see when we look at the negative things around us? Those things, if we make them our constant focus, it's going to cause us to feel worse, not better. It's going to get us anxious, filled with panic. It's going to make us wonder if we can take care of ourselves or how our resources are going to be there in times of physical need. You know, God promised that he would supply our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But it's important for us to look at the right things. So that's my first challenge before we begin. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the things before us, not the things behind us, not the pain, discomfort, anxiety, and panic. But let's look at the right things. Now with that said, let's look at Psalm 121 verses one through eight. It says, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help? It's a question mark. Is the psalmist saying that his help comes from the hills? No, that's not what he's saying at all. We'll break that down in just a few moments. Continuing with verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In other words, he made those hills. He made the mountains. He made the sky. He made all those things that we can see that are so big and majestic. Verse 3, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So God is always aware of the things that we need, isn't he? Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. That's capitalized. The Lord 
is your keeper. He sees you. He hasn't forgotten you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Now, this is the New King James Version. I like that. He's your shade. What happens when the bright sun is parching us and causing us to thirst for water or a drink? He is our shade at your right hand. He's right there, that close, as close as your right hand. Verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. It's not going to strike you. It's not going to overwhelm you or defeat you. We're talking about the creation, the things that God created. They're not going to harm you. God is right there at your side. Verse 7, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. So we have a protecting and a preserving God, don't we? And our soul is our mind. The mind is different than the spirit and the body. You see, we're made up of three uh, individual characteristics in this earthly shell. The earthly shell, which is the flesh, houses two very important parts of us. We have our spirit, which is referred to in Scripture as our heart. And then we have our soul, which is referred as our mind. The mind is where the appetites, the passions, the emotions are. So when we look at it from that perspective, we realize that he's going to preserve our mind the way we think. We've got to discipline ourselves. That's our part. But God's going to preserve and protect our soul or our mind as we discipline our thoughts and our mind to think on good things. We need to recognize that all through Scripture, we are admonished to let our mind be the mind of Christ. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. That soulish part, that appetite, that passion, those emotions can deceive you if they're not focused on the right things. The Lord shall preserve your soul. Now, verse number eight. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Wow. He's going to take care of us now. He's going to take care of us tomorrow. And those of us that know him as our Lord and Savior and trust in him and are living for him, we have the assurance that it's forever. See, the God that we serve is not just for now. He's an eternal Father. Now, let's break down that first verse, verses 1 and 2. Help from the Lord, the Creator of all, and the Helper of Israel is what this is talking about. Now, the Jewish people recognize God as Yahweh. So we have help from Yahweh, according to verses 1 and 2. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. 
from whence comes my help? It's a question, like I said earlier. And then he answers himself as David is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, look at one more time. Look a little closer. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. The writer of Psalms looked to the hills. He's likely looking at the hills as he's writing this. Those distant hills of Jerusalem as he traveled towards the city to fulfill a pilgrimage that he was on. You know, it wasn't like running to the local grocery store to get supplies or to see someone. You had to walk quite a distance in the days that David wrote this. So the psalmist is still far from the appointed place of worship and lifting his eyes toward the distant mountains. So he's looking up. He's not far from Jehovah. He's not far from Yahweh. He's not far in Jehovah's keeping, even though far from the center of external worship, the psalmist realizes his safety. That's a commentary from Morgan, which stimulates some real deep thinking. And the point, he says, is wonderful because the singer understood that the group didn't need to arrive at Jerusalem before they came under God's protective care. He'd watch over them on the journey. They didn't have to be in a particular place or a particular synagogue or a particular place of worship to have God's protective care, but he was with them on their journey as well. So he's just as present in the journey as he is in the destination. There's a couple of other suggestions of what was intended by his looking to the hills. Some suggest that it was a consideration of the high places in Numbers 22:41 and Deuteronomy 33:29, also in 1 Kings 12:31. The significance of the hills was the hills was a place where the high places were idolaters set their altars. So he could have been looking from from that mindset, looking at the high places where the the pagan people set up their idolatry and their worship and their altars. Others suggest that this was an, an anxious look to the hills, looking for danger, maybe threats from bandits and robbers, and there were gangs that lived in the hills. So he could be looking at the hills with that mindset as well. It could be a combination of both. Then as he looks and ponders, where does my help come from? He's asking himself. Does it come from mountains? Does it come from the sun? Does it come from the moon? You know, many people worship the planets back in those days. There were pagan gods of all kinds. But he concludes very quickly his help and your help and my help only comes from the Lord God. 
So he looked to Jerusalem as his goal, yet his trust was not in that city itself. We make a mistake to trust in a building or a place of worship rather than the God of worship, the God that we worship. Help would come only from God, the one that was our creator, the one that made heaven and earth. The creator must be our help in times of difficulty like we're going through now. The source of help comes from Yahweh. Why? He's the creator and he has unlimited power. Van Gimmeren made that point that was very good. Here's what Boyce says. What he is telling us is that he, that his gaze did not stop when he looked upward to the hills, but that he looked beyond them to God who made the mountains. Morgan says the city of God and the temple are to be desired and delighted in. The mountains upon which they rest are to be remembered, but not from them does help come to the distressed souls. It comes from Jehovah. So the point that I'm making here this morning is that if we look to just the mere creation of our God, the things that are majestic, as I said earlier, are the things that are, are awesome and they strike awe in our hearts. Those alone do not have the help that we need. They may be beautiful, they may be majestic, they may wow us with their beauty and their majesty, but they are not where our help comes from. Hurrying along to verses three and four, the help God brings, what is it? Let's focus on that for a moment. It says, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber or sleep. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He's always aware of our needs. He will not allow your foot to be moved. So God's going to help his people by establishing them in a firm place. He allows us to stand, not allowing our foot to be moved. Now Clark says, and I love this commentary, the foundation, God's infinite power and goodness on which thou standest cannot be moved. And whilst thou standest on this basis, thy foot cannot be moved. Oh, I love what Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon, what a great commentary. Our feet shall move in progress, but they shall not be moved to their overthrow. Wow, isn't that powerful? For the Christian, this reminds us of the principle that we find in Ephesians 6, 11 and verse 13, that the believer is to find a place to stand. Remember it says, having done all to stand, stand. It's talking about the spiritual weaponry that we have, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, 
sword of the spirit, and so on. So we are admonished to stand, and this can only be done by looking to the Lord and trusting the one who will not allow our foot to be moved. That standing of the believer in Jesus is imperative. In Romans 5, verse number 2, we stand in grace. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1, we stand in the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 16, 3, we stand in courage and strength. In 2 Corinthians 1, 24, we stand in faith. You see all the places that we can stand when our foot will not be moved? when we will not be defeated with the mentality that trusts in God and doesn't lean to our own understanding. Our Galatians 5 verse number 1 tells us as well, we stand in Christian liberty. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So we can't go back to where we were if we're going to have victory in this Christian life. Philippians 1 27 reminds us that we stand in Christian unity. So with other believers, we stand. We also, from Philippians 4.1, says that we stand in the Lord. Colossians 4.12 is another reminder, and that's our goal. We will stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Now remember, He who keeps you is a very important part of that verse. This is the first of six times in this short psalm that the Hebrew word shamar, S-H-A-M-A-R, translated keeps and preserves is used. The theme is that God will watch over his people as a watchman watches over the city or the party of travelers. Back in those days, they had watchmen on the wall. Watchmen that would stand and look over the city. And it was a high place that they could see very clearly whether there was pending danger. So this this psalmist is so absorbed in the thought of his keeper that he barely names the dangers. So with happy assurance of protection, he says over and over again, the one word which is his amulet against foes and fears. Six times in these few verses does the thought recur that Jehovah is the keeper of Israel or of the individual or single soul. That comes from McLaren. McLaren is a great commentator as well. Here's what Clark says though. The divine being represents himself as a watchman. So God is our watchman who takes care of the city and its inhabitants during the night watches and who is never overtaken with slumbering or sleepiness. Thank you, Brother Clark, for sharing that. Also, we need to see as we're winding down here, he who keeps you will not slumber. When we looked to the Lord, we had confidence in the fact that God doesn't sleep. 
the idea is repeated in verse 4 for emphasis. God's watchful eye is always open, looking with love and care upon his people. So in his confrontation with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, Elijah mocked the idol prophets when Baal didn't respond, saying of Baal, perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened in 1 Kings 18.27. We have the great comfort in knowing that he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber or sleep. I love it. McLaren again. This promise was especially meaningful for the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. Their daily march and their nightly encampment will then be placed under the care of Jehovah, who will hold up their feet, unwearied on the road, and watch, unslumbering, over their repose. A poor woman of the Eastern story has it, came to the Sultan one day and asked compensation for the loss of some property. How did you lose it? said the monarch. I fell asleep, was her reply, and a robber entered my dwelling. Why did you fall asleep? I fell asleep because I believed that you were awake. <laughs> the sultan was so much delighted with the answer of the woman that he ordered her loss to be made up. That comes from McMichael cited in Spurgeon's writings. What great ministers we've had in the past that encourage us and strengthen us. Let's go on to verses 5 and 6 as we hurry along. Let's talk about the care of the Lord for his people. It says that the Lord brings relief from the sun. So it tells us the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So remember, the Lord is your shade in your right hand. The brutal rays of the sun in the world of the Middle East could assault the traveler, such as the pilgrim on the way to one of Jerusalem's feasts. God promised care for the traveler with a reference that goes back to the cloud by day that followed Israel in the wilderness from Egypt and shielded them from the sun. <coughs> Excuse me. Similar promises are made in other verses, such as Isaiah 4, verse number 6, and 25, verse number 6. Also Psalm 91, 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place. We all know that verse shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. But it's especially precious there with shade being the same word as shadow. So shade and shadow in verse 91, uh, Psalm 91, 1 is the same word. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow or the shade of the Almighty. So your shade is there to both refresh and keep thee from the burning heat of the sun, as it's expressed in the next verse, and to protect thee by his power 
from all thine enemies, for which reason God is oft called a shadow in Scripture. That's from Poole's commentary. Nor the moon by night. See, some people have superstitious fears about the moon. Any superstitious fears that they may have had from the light of the moon were of no concern to those whom God protected. So this is not a time to think about the superstitions around us. Our help comes from God, remember? He would keep and preserve his people by day and by night. Here's what Boyce said in his commentary. What the psalmist really means, though in figurative language, is that nothing either of the day or night can harm us if God is keeping guard. God is our covering against every calamity. He is our shade against the visible perils of the day as well as the hidden perils of night. One more from Spurgeon. He said, God has not made a new sun or a fresh moon for his chosen. They exist under the same outward circumstances as others. But the power to smite is in their case removed from temporal agencies. Saints are enriched and not injured by the powers which govern the earth's condition. Oh, that's great. And then Trapp's commentary says, let the Pope be the sun and the emperor of the moon, as the canonists called them, yet the sun shall not smite the church by day, nor the moon by night. Luther was at the same time excommunicated by the Pope and proscribed by the emperor, yet died he in his bed. Verses seven and eight, as we finish up, it tells us that God preserves his people Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Wow. So the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Are we facing evil right now in the world? Oh, of course. This virus is killing everybody, a lot of people every day. It's killing so many people and families in New York City that it's so sad that many of them are dying alone. But he will preserve us from all evil. The singer had great confidence in God's protecting power. Evil men may come and afflict the child of God, but the Lord shall preserve your soul. Now remember, that's different than the body, and it's different than the spirit. He's going to preserve our mind. All evil will be averted, McLaren says, from him who has Jehovah for his keeper. Therefore, if any so-called evil comes, he may be sure that it is good with a veil on it. I like that. So evil can be good. Just like Romans 8, 28. All things work together for them 
that are called according to his purpose. All things. That means good that has a veil. That evil that has a veil becomes good. In the light of other scriptures, to be kept from all evil does not imply a cushioned life, but a well-armed one, Kidner said. He shall preserve your soul. Our soul is kept from the dominion of sin. The infection of error, the crush of despondency, the puffing up of pride, kept from the world, the flesh, and the devil, kept for holier and greater things, kept in the love of God, kept unto the eternal kingdom of glory by Charles Spurgeon. And listen to this. Also by Spurgeon. The Lord shall preserve. He shall preserve. The Lord shall preserve. Three times we have this phrase. Jehovah shall keep as if the sacred trinity thus sealed the word to make it sure. Ought not our fears to be slain by such a threefold flight of arrows? What anxiety can survive this triple promise? Thank you, Mr. Spurgeon. What a wonderful thought. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in. So the promise is comprehensive. God's people may trust in his preserving power for all of one's activity going out and coming in and at all times is also included from this time forth and even forevermore. One more quote from Spurgeon. When we go out in youth to begin life and come in at the end to die, we shall experience the same keeping. Our exits and our entrances are under one protection. Praise the Lord for his promises. Aren't you glad that his promises are true? Now, I've gone on longer than normal, but we have had an expository commentary teaching today from some of the great commentaries or commentators of the Bible. And I know you've been encouraged and refreshed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we don't have to look to the hills. We don't have to look to your creation for help. For you are our creator. And you are greater than all these things that you've made. We don't have to look to other men or other people. We don't have to look to our government or the wisdom of people in the medical profession necessarily, even though we appreciate each of them. We look to our God, and from you comes our help, and we are refreshed today. Thank you for your covering. Sustain us, strengthen your church, give us the mind of Christ, and may we walk in victory based on this wonderful study of your word. In Jesus' name. Now, don't leave. I want to pray a prayer over those seekers that have joined us today. If you're lost and undone and you don't have a Savior, you're wandering in the wilderness, maybe you are looking to the hills for your help, but none is coming. Our God is the only help that we need. 
can we look to him together? Would you pray a simple prayer over me, seeking one, searching one, wandering one? It's very simple. Just pray it one phrase at a time. Dear God, I turn to you through your son, Jesus. The only means of salvation is through Jesus, our Lord. And I ask in Jesus' name that you'd receive me. Cover me with your precious blood. Wash my sins away. I believe that Jesus is God's son and that he died on a cross and rose again. And with that belief, I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. Say it with me. I confess Jesus as my Savior. I believe I believe, Lord. I'm sorry that I've offended you. I'm sorry I've broken your commandments. But I come to you in Jesus' name, and I give my life to you, and I will live for you for the rest of my life. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. We're so glad that you've come in and joined us. Now you have the blessed assurance that not only is Jesus your Savior, but you are eternal now, and heaven is your home. God bless you for joining us, everyone today that came and joined us. We got, we wish you a blessing of peace, strength. I pray over you the blessing that maketh rich and adds no sorrow therein. Thank you today, and may you have a wonderful day as you look to the Lord for your help from heaven's perspective. Thanks for joining The View From Above. I'm Pastor Greg.